Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's a massive privilege to be able to share this morning. I'm really looking forward to it, so thank you. Um, but on Youth Camp, I really would love um, prayer support. I know when we did the mission trip last year, um, we had a whole bunch of people back home who were praying for us and we would send through prayer requests and they were like awesome. We could totally feel that backing and that support. And we want to do the same for Youth Camp. So if you would um, like to be one of our prayer partners for Youth Camp, please come see me. I'll put your name down. We'll text out prayer requests as we have them. We have like 100 kids to keep safe, so we definitely need your prayers. Um, so it's going to be awesome. But yeah, if you'd like to pray for us, please come see me. That would be fantastic. And if you want to come to camp, today's the last day if you want to get our youth discount. So come see me if that's you as well. Awesome. Yeah, so Pastor already mentioned we've been doing a series on different, on um, speaking out of First Peter. And I love it when we speak out of a book of the Bible. Um, specifically because it makes us talk about things that sometimes aren't comfortable and that we wouldn't just choose. Um, but when we preach through a book, we have to because you get to that part and that's about persecution. And we actually get to share what you know God's Word says about persecution, which is really exciting. And um, I think like Suzanne said it really well in the first week, she said, if you're a Christian and you feel different, then that's the point. We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be different from the world. And as Pastor Shane already mentioned, we talked about that in a whole bunch of different areas. But yeah, today we're talking about persecution. So who wants to hear the most encouraging thing Jesus ever said? It's so encouraging. Are you ready? You ready? All right. So he didn't promise you a life free from suffering. He didn't promise you a fancy house or a nice car or that everyone would like you or that you get a promotion at work. He never promised any of that. He'd love to give you that. He's a very nice God. But you know what he did promise you? John 15, 20. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they'll persecute you. That's what he promised us. Yay! <laughs> I'll read a bit more context of that verse. It's pretty full on. So this is Jesus talking. Um, I think it's just after, as Karen was saying, the Last Supper. Half of John is like, they have the Last Supper and then they all go out and Jesus has this big chat with his disciples. And this is part of what he said. So this is just before he went to the cross. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you. And if they listen to me, they would listen to you. They will do all, all of this to you because of me, for they rejected the one who sent me. That's like a pretty full-on promise. I mean, Jesus promised lots of other things. That isn't actually the most encouraging thing he said. He said lots of encouraging things. But I love that Jesus was really honest and real. He wasn't like a sketchy salesman that like tells you all these awesome things about the car, but in reality, like once you drive out the gates, it's going to like die. Like he was really honest. Like he told us the awesome things about following him, the awesome things about being a Christian. But he also was super real about the cost of that and the cost it takes to follow him and to be a disciple and what they could face, which I think was like really good. Because if we came up against it and we didn't know what was going to happen, that would be like really full on. And um, this morning as we were singing the first worship song, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I was so encouraged. I was like crying and I always wear waterproof mascara and I chose today of all days not to wear waterproof mascara 
And Suzanne, she always used to tell me, Rachel, every day is waterproof mascara day. And I should have taken her advice. So my makeup was all messed up. But it was, I was crying because I was so touched because we're going to be speaking a bit about church history today. And that song wasn't actually written by Hillsong. I mean, Hillsong did write it, but the words of that song are the words of the Nicene Creed. Who has heard of the Nicene Creed? Some of us, yeah. So the Nicene Creed was actually written in the year 325. Um, so this is like 300 years after Jesus. And the people who wrote that, that, that creed died for that creed. Like they, people lived and died and were persecuted for that. And um, I was just so touched, like, because we stand as a church and we stand today and we often don't think so much about history. But there's been 2,000 years of people behind us who have stand and who have believed those things and who've said those things. And God has sustained the church through so many years of persecution, so many times. And so we're in, um, we're in good company with people for so many years who have believed these things and who've said these things. And... Um, Today, even, there's people who would be singing that song, believing those things, that are under massive persecution, open doors. If we could get the, um, it up on the screen. So this is their world watch list of the 50 most countries where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. And in all these countries, there's Christians who are getting like kicked out of their families. They're being restricted from eating, from um, access to water. They could even be put in prison um, or even killed for being a Christian in all these countries. The top five countries for persecution are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, and Pakistan. Um, which is pretty full on. Like I remember when I was in India, India's, it's red, so it's pretty bad. Um, I was there, I was speaking with a young guy, and I was telling him about Jesus, and he was from a Muslim family. And he said to me, he said, you know what, I'd like to become a Christian, but if I do, then my family will kick me out. He was like 14, and he's like, I don't know what I'll do. And that was really full on. Like this kind of persecution is a reality today for so many people in the world. And um, in the past couple of years, it's become a bit more of a reality in Australia, not on the same scale as that for most of us. But um, I was reading an article by Andrew Bolt. He's, um, I think he's a guy from Sky News. He speaks, he's not a Christian, but he speaks up a lot um, for Christians in our nation, which is really cool. So I'm just going to read a couple of the things that he's been saying about persecution on Christians in Australia. He said, How mad that the Queensland's education department can now warn schools against letting students praise Jesus in the playground. The department has put out reports telling state schools to take appropriate action if aware that students participating in religious instruction are evangelizing to students who do not participate. It gives examples of what students must not say in the playground such as, knowing about Jesus is a very important thing, or, God, please help us use our knowledge to help others. Nor may students hand out Christmas cards or decorations. And that's happening in Queensland now. Like, this is in our nation. Um, and, like, there's Christian, he writes about Christian preachers that have gone against discrimination tribunals, um, uh, pro-safe schools picketed a church to abuse people, calling them bigot, bigots, a state-funded SBS um, joined in by banning an ad by Christians defending traditional marriage, yet ran one for Ashley Madison, which is a dating service for adulterers. So it wouldn't run one saying that marriage is good, but it would run an ad. Ashley Madison is literally, if you want to have an affair, you go on there to find someone to have an affair with. That's what the site is, and they ran that ad. 
And so this is like the kind of culture that's starting in our nation. And we're not like, I'm not trying to like scare you or anything, but it's really important to be aware, to be aware that this is happening in our nation. And we need to speak up as Shane like encourages us to do so often. But it's also really important to know like, what do we do? What is our response to persecution? What are we supposed to do when persecution happens? And so that's why we're looking at the book of 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter was written in a time of really massive persecution. It was written, um, so we're going to be starting in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you want to get it ready, um, that would be awesome. But yeah, so 1 Peter was written in the year um, 64. AD. So it was about 30 years after Jesus had left because he was about 33 when he went to heaven. And um, in this book, well, pretty much what was happening is there was a lot of Christians. Christianity had spread a lot in Rome and the disciples were sharing Jesus. It was going quite well. They hadn't faced too much persecution up till this point because a lot of people thought they were kind of just Jews, but like Jews that had gone a bit weird. And um, what happened in AD 64 is that Nero, who was the emperor, he was crazy. He was completely crazy. And he burnt down the city of Rome. We're pretty sure he's the one who did it. He, the fire raged for six days and destroyed 70% of the city. And like it was all made of wood. So the whole thing just burnt like wildfire. And the tradition has it, who knows if this is true, but the tradition has it, he was standing playing the lyre, looking over the city as it burnt. Like that was his response playing music and so people are pretty sure that he burnt it down because shortly after he like put up this massive palace for himself where everything had been burnt down so it was kind of like his land clearing project so he could have a better house Um, but people started to realize that and to question it and so he needed a, a scapegoat and Christians were the perfect scapegoat because everybody already thought they were a little bit weird like Pastor Shane mentioned last week, they thought they were cannibals. They thought they were incestuous. And so they're like, great, we will blame it all on the Christians so everybody can hate the Christians and I won't get the blame for it. And so that was pretty much what was happening. The Christians were getting persecuted so badly. Everyone hated them because they thought that they'd burnt down Rome when really it wasn't them at all. It was probably Nero, the emperor. And so what actually happened is that they would put them in arenas and um, wild animals would eat them. They would dip them in tar and light them on fire to use as human torches. Like this was the entertainment for the people. And I mean, we talk about you know, some elements in our society that are sick today and there are things that aren't good, but that is terrible. Like we are not watching people get burnt alive for entertainment. Like that's full on what these people were going through. Um, so this is like the people that Peter's writing to. So Peter's one of Jesus' disciples. He's the one who walked on water. And he's writing to the church in this situation. The church has like been spread all over because the persecution actually caused them to leave Rome, to go to other places. So the gospel actually spread because of it. And they were all over. And so Paul wrote this letter to them to try to encourage them in the midst of what they were going through and there's so much that we could say about it but I'll just hit on a few main points I have four main points about what Paul says a good response to persecution is so um we'll start in first Peter chapter 3 verse 13 so it says now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good but even if you suffer for doing what is right God will reward you for it So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, 
always be ready to explain it. And so he starts out by saying, you know, when, you're, when you suffer, when you're persecuted, which to those people meant when they beat you, when they burn you alive, when you're ostracized, you're blessed. And if we're to apply it today, you know, when people tease you, when you get ostracized at work, when you get taken before a tribunal for reading a Bible verse, when you're told you can't, your kids can't talk about Jesus in the playground, you're blessed. Blessed like literally means happy. Like Jesus is saying, you are blessed. You are happy. I put my blessing on you when you're in that situation. Like, that's awesome. Like that's so cool. Um, even though it doesn't feel like blessing. And then he goes on and he says, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. So I'm going to bless you and you need to not worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord. And so that literally means you must sanctify Christ as Lord or you must set apart Christ as Lord. So like, you know, if you're cutting up like a roast or something and there's like your favorite part of the roast and you like set it apart for you to eat because it's your favorite, it's like different from the rest. And that's kind of like, not the same as God. We're not, he's not a roast. But it's like he is separate from the rest. He is different. He is above. He's higher. And so it's saying that if you set him apart as Lord, Lord means authority and power. So he's saying that he becomes your authority and your power, even though the authorities, because Nero was an authority in, those, like in this time, even though they were persecuting them, like even though, I'm not saying our government is, but if our government was to start you know, blatantly persecuting us, if we set apart Jesus as Lord, we actually fall under his authority and he blesses us. And even though under their authority, they can um, you know, tear us down and persecute us. And we still have to go through that. When we actually set aside and we say, Jesus, you are Lord, we actually live under his authority and under his power and under his blessing in the midst of persecution, which is really awesome. And so that's the first... Um, the first takeaway is that Jesus blesses us when we're persecuted for doing what is good, even though it doesn't always feel good. And then the second um, one, so we'll start in chapter 15. It says, I mean, verse 15, it says, If someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Um, and so Paul's saying, you know, in response to this persecution, live godly lives, be holy. We need to keep living for God in the face of persecution. It's better than suffering for wrong. And so I was thinking about, um, like, if it, have you ever had somebody come to complain to you about something and you're like, they're like complaining that they said something, like someone said something about them, but you're like, that's actually true. Like, you're actually like that. Like, they'll be like, oh my gosh, everybody keeps calling me dramatic and it's just the end of the world and I just can't handle it. I'm just going to go crazy. And you're like, oh my gosh, you are dramatic. Like, I understand why they're calling you that, you know, and oh, we can take that down. That's okay. And, um, that's what we can be like. You know, if people start calling us bigots and judgmental and that sort of stuff, if we respond by becoming judgmental and by becoming bigots, then we're actually proving them right. You know, if we respond with hatred and anger and we tear people down, we actually start being the things 
that they're saying that we are, we can actually step into that. You know, in this time, if they Christians had actually started hating their persecutors and hating people, they would have been like, yeah, see, of course you burnt down our city. You hate us. So this is why I think Paul's encouraged them. He says, keep doing what's good so that when they see your pure and holy lives, they'll be ashamed. They'll realize that what you're doing is right and what you're doing is good. So when people, you know, at work start to say like, you're judgmental or you're angry, it's really important that we, or at school, like it's really important that we keep a humble heart, you know, that we keep loving, that we keep being kind, that we show them Jesus rather than trying to defend ourselves. I mean, that's what Jesus did. It says when they took him before Pilate, like, like a lamb to the slaughter, he was silent before his accusers. And it doesn't mean that we should never stand up for ourselves or never, you know, speak up. 100% we need to do that. But there is a time and a place, you know, we need to respond in love. We need to respond in kindness when these things are said about us. We need to live holy lives. So number two, we must live holy lives in the face of persecution, not proving them right in the things that they say about us. And then we're going to jump down a little bit to verse 18. So this is a third point. Um, Peter writes, he says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. And then down to 22, it says, Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers except his authority. And um, I think it's crazy because it reminds them that Jesus suffered in the flesh just like we did. Like Jesus went to the cross. He actually like went through intense persecution. And I think sometimes we forget like the center of our faith, the central point of Christianity was actually an act of persecution. Jesus dying on the cross was an act of persecution. The cross was an instrument of persecution. And this is actually really central to our identity of who we are as Christians, is as people like Christians means little Christ. It means people who are like Christ. And if our leader went through that, if Jesus himself went through persecution, we can be encouraged. Like he gets it. He did it. I once heard someone say that a good leader will never make someone else go through what they wouldn't go through themselves. And Jesus did. He went through the worst of it. He went through the worst of persecution for us, you know, for our salvation, for our healing, for our wholeness. And um, that would have been so encouraging to the people who heard it because they were going through physical suffering. Like most of us don't go through that. But they were like physically getting injured and dying for it, just like Jesus did. And I think it like helps you understand, you know, like Jesus identifies with me. Like when we go through things and we, we feel on the outside and all that, you know, Jesus went through that. He actually identifies with us in that. It actually says in um, 1 Peter 4, verse 14, be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. He's almost saying like if you're suffering for doing, being a Christian, if you're being persecuted, you're doing something right. People are not going to like you all the time if you actually live like what God calls us to do. If you're being persecuted, it's because the Spirit of God is on you and they actually persecuted Jesus. And so the number three like takeaway is Christ suffered. And when we are persecuted as Christians, like it almost it means we're doing something right. 
If we're persecuted for righteousness, it means we're standing up for things that are right. And that's actually, that's actually really like awesome and that's really good. And then the last one, just as I'm about to wrap up, in 1 Peter 4, verse 1, it says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude, or in some translations it says the same purpose he had, and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. And um, as it mentioned up there before, Christ's suffering actually had a purpose. It wasn't meaningless. It wasn't just like God was just allowing his son to be suffering for no reason. There was purpose in it. You know, there was purpose in the pain. We are here because of what Jesus went through. There was purpose in his suffering. And I think that Paul was, Peter was trying to encourage him and say, you know, there is purpose in your suffering. He says, like, says, so since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude, the same sense of purpose. When we're persecuted, there's purpose. Like that's a different perspective. We're not victims. We're not victims. There's actually purpose in it. Like I don't think anyone looks at Jesus and says, oh, what a poor little victim. Like we need to give him lots of things. He's entitled to a lot because he's a victim. Like that's not our attitude towards Jesus and what he went through. And I don't think that should be our attitude towards other people. There is purpose in it. We are not helpless victims in this situation. We have the spirit of God with us. And so I was thinking about three things. I'm sure there could be more, but three things that could be our purpose in persecution and in suffering. And firstly, um, it says in here that like as you go through suffering, it says, for, you, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So it actually makes us more like Christ. We identify with him more. The second thing, like as I read here, it says, for if you have suffered physically for Christ, you're finished with sin. It actually helps us. I think it helps us to take Christ more seriously. It helps us to turn away from sin. It's like can, if you can imagine like if you've been through the pain of childbirth, it actually shows value. Like pain can show when something's wrong. Like I'm pinching my finger and that hurts. But it also can show value. Like there is value in going through the pain of childbirth, not that I've been through it, I'm sure it sounds horrible, but there is value in it. You know, you get a baby at the end and there's purpose in that pain. Or if you're working out and you're running and it really is like hurting, there is, there is value in that. You know, a lot of things that are valuable in life, you have to go through pain to get them. Pain shows that something's valuable and it's worth it. And if we're willing to go through pain, I mean, physical pain is not that likely for us, but even, you know, socially or emotionally or whatever we go through, it actually helps us to see the value of Christ more. Not that he becomes more valuable, but we perceive it more. It's like if you were to go on, like you had like one year challenge and you, um, you know, were exercising all the time and dieting all the time and you got to November and the 1st of December started and the whole month all you ate was donuts, it would be like you, like you went through all this pain and all this sacrifice to get to this point, and you're so much less likely to just completely blow it all if you've gone through pain to get there. And you know, if we've gone through pain to be in relation with Jesus and to be Christians, we're so much less likely to be like, oh, it's too hard, I, I give up, and like walk away from it and not think it matters and not think it's valuable, you know? And so there's actually purpose in that. And the third way is that God can actually use your suffering to draw others to Him, which is crazy like God doesn't 
want us to, he's not like, smite you, go through pain. But, you know, he actually can use it. In this context, you know, when they were suffering in the arenas for entertainment for the people, they were eaten by lions and stuff. Like, this really happened. I still struggle to believe that. Like, this really, really happened. People who would, you know, believe the same stuff that we do today, our brothers and sisters, they literally got eaten by lions. Like, that's full on. But all the people that were sitting around and watching them, a lot of them started to feel sorry for the Christians because the persecution was so bad. And they knew that had those Christians recanted and said, you know what, I don't believe in God anymore. I give up. I don't want to die like this. But they didn't. They stuck it out. And these people said, you know what, I know that somebody um, wouldn't die for a lie. If they knew it was a lie, if they didn't believe it, they wouldn't stick through it. But because these people were dying, they knew and they were dying based on an idea that they wouldn't give up. A lot of people said, you know what, this must be true. Why would they die for this if it wasn't true? Why would they willingly sacrifice their lives and lay them down if they knew this wasn't real? This must be true. And so Nero's plan kind of backfired in the wisdom of God and the church grew. More people became Christians under that persecution. And so takeaway number four is there is purpose in persecution. It's not meaningless and it's not empty. And just really quickly, there's a really interesting part in church history. So the Nicene Creed was written in 325. But in 331, something really big changed in the church. And up till that point, Christians were kind of outsiders. They were kind of a strange cult or something. But in 331, Constantine, who was the Roman emperor at that time, he decided that Christianity was going to become the state faith. It was going to become the Holy Roman Empire. And that Christianity was like the religion of the nation. And um, we're not really sure if he was a Christian. I think it was probably a bit of a political move because there was Christians everywhere and just trying to unify everybody. But essentially what happened in that moment is that Christians went from being persecuted and dying for their faith to actually they were in favor. People could get in positions of power and influence because they were Christians. And it actually shifted in the church um, people's motives. Like before that, you had to be serious because if you could die for it. So you wouldn't call yourself a Christian if you weren't because you could die for it. And after that time, there started to be a bit of mixed motives in the church where some people would be in the church because they wanted to be cool they wanted to get power they wanted to get influence and so a lot changed around that time and um you know i believe that the church today is strong and it's going well you know i believe that things are awesome and that god's doing so much in his church across the world and we don't want to go through persecution like i really hope we all don't get put on crosses or fed to lions you know but it actually purifies the church in one way. It actually makes us serious. You know, when we go through persecution, it makes us serious about our faith because we're not just going to pretend to be Christians. We've got to decide, is this real? Do I want to commit to this? Even though it sucks and we don't want to go through it and it's painful and it's hard and it can make us feel left out, there's purpose in it, you know. It brings us closer to Jesus. And so persecution, number one, God blesses us when we go through persecution. Um, number two, I forget number two. Number two, we must live holy lives in the face of persecution and not prove them right in the things they say about us. Number three, Christ suffered. And when we're persecuted as Christians, it means we're doing something right. And number four, there is purpose in persecution. It's not meaningless and it's not empty. And so if I could just get the band up, I'll just um, finish up. 
And um, even though it's hard, like this is who we are. We're the church. Jesus is our leader and he went to the cross for what he believed in. And even though it's a hard thing to talk about and we don't want it to be real and we wish it wasn't happening, this is part of our identity. For 2,000 years, our people have died for many things. And there's been times in church history that things weren't awesome. There have been times in history where the church really did things that didn't represent Jesus. But at the end of the day, you know, we're still here. God sustained us through 2,000 years, through 2,000 years of the enemy trying to shut the church down, trying to make the Christians stop talking, of using earthly kings and rulers to do that. We're still here. We have a God that is good, a God that can sustain us. And um, in, oh, there's two more verses I'm just going to read in First Peter. It says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. And then in 5 verse 7, it says, Give all your worries and cares to God, because he cares about you. And God cares for us when we're going through suffering. God cares for us when we're persecuted, and he won't fail us. He's good. He understands. He identifies with our suffering. So we should be encouraged. Like if you feel like you're going through persecution in your family, like maybe things are so hard in your family because you're a Christian and you've prayed for them 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 and it feels like nothing's changing and you feel like the odd one out in your family. Like God wants you to know there's purpose in what you're going through and he will not fail you. You need to cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Maybe at work at the moment, it's really hard because you're a Christian and you're feeling left out and you're feeling teased. God says there's purpose in it. I will not fail you. Cast your anxiety on me. I care about you. I care about you. And so I just feel like to wrap up, I'm just going to pray for strength for us at this church. Like we don't know what's going to happen. We hope and pray and fight that things in our nation, that our nation will turn to God and that things will go awesome in our nation and that many will come to Christ and I believe that that will happen but we also need to be ready if the persecution rises if things get really hard we need to already know what we're going to do we can't just get to that point and be like oh I'll just decide then we need to know you know no we're committed we're in we're the people of God we're going to believe that we're blessed when we suffer we're going to press in because we know that this is who we are so I'm just going to pray, um, yeah, for all of us. So if you want to bow your head and um, close your eyes just to join in with me. God, I just thank you that you are good and that you are holy, God. I thank you that you went through immense persecution for us, God. You didn't just leave us in our sin, God. You went through so much to save us. You went through so much to love us, to bring us into your family. And God, I pray that we will truly be Christians. We will truly be little Christ. We will be people who are willing to go to the very end for you, God. People that won't back down in the face of opposition. God, that we will set you apart as Lord. We'll say you are our authority. You are our ruler. We will obey you above all else, God. Let us pray for every person here if they're struggling with persecution in their families, in their lives in any way. God, I pray that you will strengthen them right now, that they will know that you are their God and that you won't fail them, God, that they can cast their anxiety on you because you care for them. And for all of us, God, I pray that you'll strengthen us as a church, 
that would be willing to go into whatever comes ahead, knowing that you are with us, knowing that you are Christ, you are Lord, you are the one who went through everything else. And I pray that you'll give us an attitude that's willing to go through everything for you. Just ask that you'll touch everyone here this morning. And if you don't know Christ, if you um, have never known Jesus or if you've walked away and you want to come back into that relationship with Him, I want you to know He loves you so much. He went through the cross for you because He loves you. He loves you so much. Is that song we're singing this morning? He wants to draw you close to His heart. He wants to know you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And even though being a Christian is not always easy, as we've talked about this morning, it's awesome. It's so worth it. And if you want to make that decision to love Jesus and to follow Jesus, I just want to invite you to raise your hand just to make that commitment to God. You know what I'm saying? I love you, Jesus. I want to be your follower. So if you just want to raise your hand, if that's you this morning, saying, I want to be in. I want to be in. I want to love Jesus. Thank you so much. I see those hands. Is there anyone else this morning? Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you, I see that. And I see that hand as well. Thank you. So many. Is there anyone else this morning? You're in good company. Awesome. God, I just thank you so much for everyone that's raised their hand this morning. And if that's you, actually, you know what? All of us will all pray together. Just repeat this prayer after me. It's just a prayer that commits our lives to Jesus. So say, dear God, I thank you so much that you went through everything for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for offering forgiveness for me. God, I'm sorry for where I've sinned. And I receive your forgiveness. God, you are now the Lord of my life. I give my life to you. Thank you for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.